eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball with MLB insider John Heyman and former Major Leaguer Tony Gwynn Jr. Welcome in to another episode of Big Time Baseball. I'm your host, Tony Gwynn Jr., and unfortunately for you guys, you only get me today. John is out. Uh, hopefully we have him back next week, but that's okay because uh, I have what I consider one of the best individuals in the game of baseball, a mentor of mine, Dave Roberts, will join us here shortly. Uh, you can follow myself on Twitter at Tony Gwynn Jr. You can follow John at John Heyman. And now you can follow this show on Twitter as well. Follow us at RDC underscore BTB. That's Big Time Baseball. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review Big Time Baseball on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Now, without further ado, I introduce to you guys Dave Roberts, uh, World Series winner. Uh, I know that sounds good, Dave. First and foremost, how are you doing? How's the family doing? You know what, Gwenny? We're doing great, man. Um, the family's doing well. And, and it's interesting is I, I still want that parade. Um, yeah. and, and we haven't been able to kind of finish it. But with uh, with what's going on in our world today, I have had a lot more time with the family. So it's kind of made this offseason a little bit longer, which is actually that's a good thing, though. Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. The one good thing that's come out of this is we've all got to spend a lot of extra time with the family and in your case uh that's a you don't get to do that often so i'm sure you've you've uh, enjoyed that so first and foremost how does it feel to finally break through and capture the elusive world series ring as the manager of the los angeles dodgers you know it, it's interesting is uh you said manager, and, and I won it as a, a player with the Red Sox. And um, I remember charging on that field in St. Louis uh, with the Red Sox in 2004. And it was just uh, pure joy. And um, and as a manager, you know, I've invested five years in the organization and the players, the coaches, as they've invested in me. And, um, you know, when Julio punched out Adamas to, for that last out, 
uh, obviously there was a lot of joy initially, but then it just quickly was just so much relief. And and I think mm, as yeah. a, a player or any kind of athlete, you don't want to let that pressure build into your psyche. And so for so many years, you know that it's World Series or bust, World Series or bust. And then finally, once we won it, I think I just kind of let go and just had that sigh of relief. Now, as as a big, big Laker fan, I, I have to ask this. Uh, you guys both won titles in the same year. Has there been any, and you mentioned not having that parade, has there been any talk of collaborating this, this have a huge L.A. parade, basically? Yeah, yeah, there's uh-huh. certainly talk. The, uh, the Dodgers are in. The Lakers are in. Uh, we just got to have this pandemic cooperate with us. So right. <laughs> that's kind of the hang up. But I'll tell you that the one, you know, when you, when you look out to ultimately us hopefully having a parade is guys are, as time goes on, guys are going their separate ways. And that's when it gets harder to get everybody together. But uh, I'm still like, you know me, T, I'm still very optimistic and, and hopeful. Now, you kind of hit on it a little bit, but I want to go a little bit deeper because I think it's important. Uh, you're now the 21st person in the history of Major League Baseball uh, to win a World Series as a player and as a manager. And as a manager, uh, only the 20, only are you're only 20 guys uh, in 151 years to to accomplish that before you. Uh, but more importantly, you're the first African American, you're the first Japanese manager to ever win a World Series. What is the significance of that to you? Yeah, you know, I, I don't. It's huge. It, it, it's, uh, I mean, to put it uh, frankly, I, I don't kind of go there very often. Um, as I'm still kind of, I'm just wired as I just kind of, you know, do my job. And right, right. You know, once it's all done, you can kind of look back and see what your comps. I, I do think though, there's value in really being present and understanding what you are, enjoying the journey. And right. so when you put it in that context, it really is sort of overwhelming. It really is. I, I can only imagine. And, and you also kind of hit on this a little bit. You mentioned the excitement as a player, uh, the difference as a manager. How different or, or what does it feel like to win a game, to win a World Series, uh, executing somebody else's game plan as opposed to your own game plan? What, what are the differences there? Yeah, that that's one Part of it in the sense of as a player, you know, because as a manager, you have control, some control, but ultimately the players are, are going to play well or they're not. And it, it, it it's up to the players and that's the way it should be. Um, but as a manager, I think for me, the biggest takeaway that I've learned uh, from coaching, from managing versus a player is you realize all the pieces that make an organization go. And I just think that as a player, you have to have that that sole focus on you doing your job, preparing yourself and your teammates to win a baseball game. But when you're a manager, you understand really, you know, baseball operations, you know, the other side of uh, of tickets and sales and media fans and the community and development, scouting, all that different factions that come together to make an organization go and then to kind of keep the organization together and thinking the same thing on the same page. You know, that's why for me, it's just so such an accomplishment because you realize all that goes into it. Dave Roberts joins us here on big time baseball world series winning manager uh, of the 2020 season, which you could argue was one of the toughest seasons that anybody's ever had to endure. 
Dave, is, is there a difference between winning in L.A. compared to Boston? Um, you know, I, I think that there is. And I think that, you know, one part of it for me is my only experience, though, is 86 years uh, from winning. And we were not in a pandemic um, right. being on the East Coast versus 32 years in a pandemic. So I definitely don't want to pit East versus West Dodgers, Red Sox. I'm not going to go there. Um, but I just don't think that we in Los Angeles really got to appreciate uh, what the Dodgers accomplished this year. Um, but I will say, though, is that, you know, it's be- it's generational. And you mentioned 150 years of baseball. You know, I don't know how long the Red Sox have been there, but I think it's from the beginning, essentially. And we did lose some fans in, um, you know, in 59 um, when the Dodgers came from Brooklyn to Los Angeles. So with the Red Sox base fan base, it's been the same, you know, the whole way through. Good point. Good point. I didn't even really think of it from that standpoint. Uh, Let's go back to the World Series a little bit, because uh, game four was... if you could put it in words, I mean, it was just crazy. I mean, Chris Taylor misplays the ball in the outfield. Azarena comes around to score barely after falling and tripping around third base. You go into the locker room after that game. Now the series is tied at 2-2. What is going through your mind as a manager at that point? And was there anything that you needed to say to the guys in the locker room? So that's the thing about managing or or leading and that's kind of uh when to speak when not to speak and that game right there uh was a crazy game obviously and i i can look back now and it could be one of the classic games in in all of world series history and i got no problem because i know the end result (laughs) right Uh, but i'll tell you t after that game you know obviously there's a lot of emotions you're upset you're you're angry um but as a manager one of those things that you're really proud of is when uh, the players can take it upon themselves to respond. And I say that because there was a minute I thought about, should I go in there? Do I need to address the team? And I just believed in our guys that there was no need for that pep talk, essentially. And later right. I heard that they got on a thread themselves and turned the page. And they all kind of chimed in. And that just shows that what we have with the Dodgers, our culture, the character of the players. And that next day when Clayton took the mound, uh, game four was washed from everyone's uh, minds. I mean, yes, obviously the players have to take the the onus and, and, and get on a thread. But that's got to make you feel pretty good as a manager that you have helped create a culture that – as you're questioning, should you go in there? Should you not go in there? You decide not to. The end result is that you didn't need to because the players ended up taking care of it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that part of the foundation or DNA of our club is eliminating the noise um, and play, doing everything we can to win one baseball game. And and it's not easy. We we talk about it every day. And, you know, whether you're in spring training or we were playing in game five uh, the next day after uh, that game four World Series game, you still have to have that same mindset that you're going to leave it all out on the field. And I think that our guys really bought into that, understand that, believe that. And so after the pain of that game, um, and, and I don't know if it was Clayton or Mookie that initiated that text, and everyone followed in line. And the next day we showed up to win one baseball game. And that's why when we can look back, Gwenny, at, being down 3-1 to the Braves, 
we won three games in a row all year long and to win one game at a time, we could do that. And where most teams, most players look ahead and put that extra pressure on themselves that they got to win three games in one day and that ain't going to happen. Right. Right. You guys had so much experience in those positions before. I'm sure that played a role in it as well. I got to ask you a little bit about our first conversation. We had you on early in the season and at that time you guys were winning games, but uh, some of your guys, bigger guys in that lineup were struggling, struggling. Max Muncie, uh, uh, Cody Bellinger in particular. And I remember you saying to all of us, uh, to John and I, that if those two didn't get going in the right direction, um, you guys could have a repeat of the same type of October. Uh, you guys get to the playoffs and those two slowly but surely got it going, especially Max Muncie. Uh, what went into that? Was that something that you kind of expected because you had seen these guys over the last couple of years really have success and it was just a matter of time? Yeah, yeah, it, it's part of that. And I think that this year, when you look at this year, um, this is my thought, um, you know, whether certain players admit to it or not. I think that, you know, knowing that you're only going to play 60 games and when you get off to that slow start, yeah, I think yeah. that there's a pressing involved because you don't have – four extra months to dig yourself out of a 200, uh, 200 average, you know, you, you find yourself in a hole, then you start pressing. And I think for me, once they got to the postseason, you start anew. And right. I think that's something that I felt that there was a little bit of relief for them. And I'll tell you this, that I got questioned all year long about moving uh, Muncie out of the four hole. But for me, I just trust the at bat. And he took those same at bats into the postseason, got on base with some big walks, uh, his on-base plus slug was incredible all throughout the postseason, and Cody had some huge hit for us as well. Was it easier from that specific standpoint of you follow the at-bats, was it easier for you to have that confidence in, in Muncie? Because even though he wasn't swinging a bat well all year, he still was getting his walks. His at-bats were still Max Muncie type at-bats. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that they were. And the pitchers in there, when Max Muncy steps in the box or Corey Seager or Cody Bellinger, the body of work, the track record, the back of the baseball card means something. It still impacts that opposing pitcher. And for our guys, which they did a great job uh, staying in the strike zone, that for me, and we talked, uh, you, myself, and John talked earlier, is that my bet is that if we can stay in the strike zone, then we're going to have success. And uh, that's what we did, which was a lot different than we've done in other postseasons. I tell you what, it was it was so impressive because, you know, I, I had to watch all the playoff games. And it was impressive to see the Dodgers really – stick to to that to that part right there and staying in the strike zone and it seemed to make a huge difference even when guys weren't getting hits and I, and I say that to get to game six Ian or excuse me Blake Snell is dealing and there really wasn't a whole lot of uh success there for for you guys offensively but even in that you guys still stayed in the zones Snell was just dominant he comes out uh and and they bring in the next guy and you guys immediately jump on them. And do you think that had to do with that exact focus of staying in the zone, no matter who it is? Because Anderson comes in and just is in too much of the zone, and you guys took advantage of it. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's a part of it. And, and um, you know, Blake Snell was was dealing, and, and we really got – we're getting dominated for the first six innings. And, um, yeah, it, it's just interesting because – 
I do believe in momentum with baseball. Um, I, I do, you know, we, we saw Anderson uh, quite a bit before. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, a lot of times that we talk in baseball about third time through uh, with the starter, but there's also value for the hitter and seeing relievers, you right, know, right. three, four, five times. And now when you're talking about a long series, that's what happens. And so I try to use uh, a lot of our relievers to give guys different looks. Um, and, and so they don't get that same familiarity. Um, but I do think that anybody not named Snow was welcome for our, for our ball club in Game Six. <laughs> I think uh, I think the rest of the country kind of felt the same way you guys did. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Justin Turner at the end of Game Six. Two part question here. First, as a as a former player having reached the pinnacle, you get the news in the seventh or the late in the game that. You know, you have to take JT out because uh, he's tested positive for COVID. First question is how, what goes through your mind knowing you have to tell him this and probably completely break his heart? Secondly, what was your thought then afterwards when you and JT are right next to each other uh, celebrating a World Series? Yeah, you know, I I think the first part is um, my heart was broken for him. and. you know, he, he's been there with me, with us every step of the way. And to tell a player that he can't finish and, you know, potentially charge the field, you know, when that last out is recorded was devastating. And uh, Justin, rightfully so, understandably so, took it very hard. Um, then my mind goes to managing and I got to get a replacement player out there to, and get him ready uh, for the top half of the inning. And that was Edwin Rios. So right. trying to get him ready. Um and then my focus kind of went to the game and then shortly thereafter went to Justin. And um, after doing media, I didn't know he was going to be out there, ultimately was out there. And I kind of always sit in the middle, uh, you know, right next to him. And so um, we all got caught up in the moment. And for me, I, I, I'm just happy that nothing came of it right. as far as kind of outside of the negative impact, um, as far as, you know, anyone else contracting the virus. And so for him to be out there, I just wish that it wouldn't have been such a, uh, you know, a, a black eye for him being out there. And I understand some of the criticisms. I really do. Uh, but I also understand, you know, his teammates and coaches wanting him out there to celebrate. Yeah. No, I, as as a former player myself, I, I, I felt for Justin. I mean, having seen you guys get close and it, as many times as you have and then for him not to be able to be out there. Uh, I understood at least what his mindset was when he made the decision he made. Um, the other thing I, I want to ask you about, Dave, because it, it's kind of come up here in the last few days, uh, analytics and aesthetics of the game. Uh, you saw, I'm sure, I don't know if you saw Don Maddenley's comments about it. Uh, and then to hear Theo Epstein, who you could argue is one of the, the the originators of using this to his benefit, all felt like the aesthetic of the game is is being compromised a little bit by uh, analytics. It's a it's a uh, impact that I don't think anybody saw coming as we all tried to improve this game. What are your thoughts on that? Because we've been hearing now for the last four or five years how tough the game of baseball is to watch for the spectator. Uh, what are your views on it? Yeah, it, it's just, it's kind of how you look at it and from what perspective. Because okay. um, I think if you're talking about 
clearly from a fan perspective, uh, there's not enough action. Um, the players are very talented. Um, you hear a lot of analytics and not getting the sense that managers, organizations are using their eyes, the gut. Um, from the other side, we're trying to win baseball games. And right. so for me, whether the game is two and a half hours or it's four and a half hours, for me, at the end of the day, I just want to win a baseball game. So I really don't care. Um, so now when you have the rules and things that are at your disposal as far as information, I'm going to use whatever I can if it's, if, it, if I feel it gives me and the Dodgers an advantage. Right. Um, but I do think that Donnie's right. I think Theo's right in the sense of just fundamentally – I think that we've got to change the structure that lends itself to uh, more action in play, uh, a dynamic player, not just the walk, strikeout, and the home run. So whether it's uh, softening of the baseball a little bit so it doesn't carry as much, uh, lowering the mound so it gives a hitter a better chance, changing the shift or disallowing the shift, adding the DH into both leagues. You know what, Gwynny? There's so many – I think the conversation is good um, and we just got to keep having it. But I think at some point in time, we got to be intentional and uh, make some changes. And, and, and because ultimately we will adapt in the game. Right. But I think that we just can't lose our fans. And, and that's what's important. Yeah, such such a good point. Players, as much as they complain about the changes, they do adapt eventually. They always do. So it then becomes about the fans. Uh, one last thing before I let you get out of here, Dave, and I, and I so appreciate your time. Uh, the Dodgers, even this offseason, have been linked to all kinds of offseason talks, whether it's Lindor, whether it's Arenado. Um, and I know your job is basically to, to field the best team you can uh, based on what you have. But it's got to give you extreme faith, right, that you guys go out and win a World Series and nobody's sitting uh, sitting on their morals. Or they they want to go out and improve this team even more. That's got to give you a lot of confidence, doesn't it? No, it, it does. It, it does. Because I think that that's, you know, one of the great things about, you know, managing the Dodgers, because it, it's an organization, a franchise that has a lot of pride in winning and um, not kind of win to then sell the farm to then regroup. And it's a it's a, really a big compliment to Andrew Friedman and baseball operations, because uh, you can't just go out there and sign free agents or make these Mookie bets type trades. You've got to have guys in the system that are coming up that don't make a ton of money, you know, that are controllable players. And we have those. Um, but for us to always be in a conversation as far as uh, acquiring a huge player, you still got to have the assets to trade to acquire. Um, so fortunately for us, we do. And uh, I I'm just really fortunate to be a part of this organization that, yeah, after 20, we're uh, going to enjoy the holidays, and, and our guys are regrouping to try to go out there and repeat in 21. Well, listen, Dave, uh, I know I got a chance to tell you congratulations over text, but this is the first time I've gotten to say congratulations uh, 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 in a conversation. So congratulations again. I know it was uh, a long time coming. Appreciate you giving us your time today, and uh, hopefully we can check in once we get started with the season. No, absolutely, T. And hopefully, uh, you know, we start on time and get to see out in spring training. But man, what you 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 uh, and John do is amazing. You guys are real, real baseball talk. I love it. Appreciate you, Dave. Have to take care of yourself. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.